Hi everyone, I'm Cullen Haynes and welcome to Law Live. My next guest is a true powerhouse in every sense of the word, very close friend of mine for a number of years and has been in law over 21 years and founded her law firm Peripheral Blue with the goal of doing law differently. Can you please make very welcome Melissa Larkin from Peripheral Blue who is dialing in from my hometown of Adelaide. How are you, Melissa, and welcome to Law Live. Hi, Cullen. I'm really well. Thanks for having me today. No, it's an absolute pleasure. How is everything going in your circle of influence? What's happening in your world? Well, I I suspect as it is in most people's world at this end of the year, we're very busy um, trying to get everything sorted for clients before and ourselves, of course, before (laughs) Christmas and and the shutdown at the end of the year. It's always, always a busy time. Always, always a challenge. Absolutely. Is is, is your calendar packed this time of year with face-to-face meetings? Like what's your day, day look like usually? I'm um, in this like crunch time. Yeah, well, the calendar's packed, but it's it, we've still maintained a mix of um, face-to-face and because we work for clients nationally, so we still do a lot of um, Zoom or Team, whatever their preferred platform of choice is. Um, we still have a lot of those sorts of meetings as well. And, of course, squeezing in CPD. <laughs> yeah, of course. That, that, that's always doing um, good to get the crunch time. And um, we've made a change yeah. as well. We're actually offering... CPD with some of the law societies and bar associations now. So it's good to be oh. able to add value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From practice yeah, management. Brilliant. Yeah. So um, stay tuned. We're still yet to break into um, the South Ooh. Australia Law Society, but um, we're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> but um, obviously, I, said the, I said in the title, Melissa, obviously, you are uh, like an award winning um, lawyer and your firm, Peripheral Blue, which has been going for a number of years now, you set out with the goal to do law differently. I'd love to, to expand and unpack that and go into what inspired you to make that leap to start Peripheral Blue. Oh, thanks, Cullen. Yes, um, so I started Peripheral Blue in 2016 um, and it was an enormous leap um, and it required, yeah, a lot of soul-searching and a lot of courage, really, to be honest. So I had spent um, two decades um, pursuing my career across two continents and I had always worked in big law um, and had, you know, and in a lot of ways was a, probably a very good personality type to work in big law. Um, you know, the billable hour targets actually didn't bother me. Um, I liked working really long hours because I loved what I did. Um I spent a lot of time in Ireland during the construction boom and got to do a worked in a dedicated projects and construction team and got to an amazing training and and got to work on some beautiful projects and um so I had a really great career and uh, there were a lot of positives and, and certainly the training piece was huge um over that period of time but as relocating back to Adelaide after spending sort of the, the first nearly decade of my career in Sydney or and in Ireland um was very very difficult and when I moved back to Adelaide, largely because I had a skill set that didn't really fit the market I was returning to at that time in 2009. And then I worked in a, in a national firm um, here in, in Adelaide and, again, got access to really great quality work. Um, and as, as part of that, I was seconded to a company. And whilst I was seconded, I was sort of watching different secondees rotate in and out. And, A, I really loved 
working in-house. Um, I think that the way in which you can interact and, and the value you can add is, is fantastic. Um, but B, I also noticed that it's actually very difficult so whilst it, there can be value for companies in having secondees from large firms come in, it's really difficult as an external provider to truly understand your client because really, you know, you're getting arm, arm sort of length relationships with them and you can take them to the football, you can take them out for dinner, you're going to skirt around, you know. You, you'll know about their family, you'll know about their likes or their dislikes. That's not really unpacking the company's risk profile or, yes. um, you know, or you know, goals for the company. It, they're not the conversations you have at those sorts of events. So being immersed in the company is the way to learn that and it's such a privilege when companies allow you that opportunity. But when you're dropped in as an external from a law firm, you don't know any of that. And so you've got to quickly upskill and work out who to go to and make decisions that are fundamentally different to the decisions you make as an external lawyer. So I had this idea, wouldn't it be great to set up a firm that was like a bridge between in-house traditional legal firms, so that level um, and type of expertise and high-quality advice, but that was providing the services in an in-house, as an in-house lawyer would, which is much more shoulder-to-shoulder, um, not arm's length, and not, you know, having a pyramid structure with where basically the client's paying for junior lawyers to be trained, which is what the traditional model's really about. Um, if, what if, if it didn't look like that, you could actually have an opportunity to create um, a, a service that was of real value and build really genuine relationships. So that was my thinking. I actually was not even remotely aware when I had that thought that new law existed. Um, I, it seems bizarre now. And um, I, I then had, so I was sort of percolating on that idea and then I fell pregnant with my third son and I took some mat leave and I did go back to the firm that I had been um, working with prior prior to the, the um, that their pregnancy uh, and my heart just wasn't in it anymore. I think I just, once my mindset had shifted, because to work in traditional law, you have to be all in, like to be successful in it, you have to Correct. really behave. And so for the 20 years prior, I did, because I didn't know, I didn't, hadn't envisaged a different way of doing things. So I was in wholeheartedly, hook, line and sinker, was happy to do it that way. Once I'd had a taste of doing it differently and then started to have this sort of, you know, thinking around it, uh, around how we might do things differently, I found it almost impossible to go back to the old way of doing things. And at around the same time, um, there started to be a bit more of a shift. I noticed when I went back to the firm that client, I was getting more and more instructions from clients who required less face-to-face -face interactions and were happy to have, you know, caught not video calls at that time, but telephone calls. And so there was a bit, a bit of a, a slight shift. Um, and then I, and I thought about it more and more. I thought, you know what, we're going to a good time to do this. Um, probably at the time that I had a two, four and eight year old was going to be very challenging. <laughs> but um, I just, I always wanted to work. I always wanted to love what I did and I had gotten to the point where I still loved the practice of law but I didn't like how I was having to practice and yes. I believe that you have to be happy and because I love to work and when I wasn't loving it and I and I wasn't loving it because I thought the clients was I was starting to get bill shock you know and bill remorse that it, it just didn't feel like there was value and when you're having to bill for every six minute interval and you don't have control over being able to do pricing that's more value-based it, yeah, once you start thinking about things in a different way, it's difficult to stay in a very traditional 
model. And so I walked away from the career that I had spent of 20 years building. Um, I had no clients, uh, no staff, and a restraint of trade um, and three small children. So it was a big undertaking. Um, and I think you just have to lean into that. And, and it is what it is. And, it, and we are so grateful because we had some amazing clients, who, people who've become clients, but who allowed us to pitch to them at the beginning and pitching at a time when we didn't even really, I mean, we hadn't found the language, the vocabulary to explain what it was that we were doing because we hadn't done it yet. So I had this idea, but how do you explain this concept, which is similar um, in the sense that you can guarantee they're still going to get the same top-tier service, but you're trying to explain how it's different and why it's different and why they should give, give you a shot when particularly if they don't have an existing relationship with you. Um, and so we were really, really blessed and I was overwhelmed actually by the generosity of people to listen to us and, and to acknowledge, um, you know, the risk that we taken in, that I had taken in doing it. And, um, and then when... Cara Birch, our Director of Policy and Compliance, came on board. Um, you know, they, they were really supportive of both of us and the different spaces that we played in. And, um, we, yeah, so without their initial um, support of us and willingness to consider different ways of doing things and flexibility of thought, I would never have been able to get it off the ground. But um, I think when you have an idea, Dear, which at, it, at its core is about providing a service which you genuinely believe will be better for the clients, the, the clients respond to that. And you've set the benchmark for the industry because it is such a like an award-winning firm. And we'll touch on that. I want to encourage people. It is twelve twenty-three or um, eleven fifty-three in Adelaide. So please jump on with your questions, put them in there in real time because we'd love to hear from you. But on that, um, we've called it winning from the periphery, and Peripheral Blue has won so many awards. Is it because of that top-tier mindset and you? higher top-tier talent or what do you think the secret source is to to winning those awards and and, and providing that service do you think melissa oh, um oh well I, th I think you know first of all we've been overwhelmed with um the, our success in that space um and it, it was it was actually quite an adjustment to put ourselves forward because for a long time um you know, when I started the firm, I had no digital footprint. So to move from that to this and to have the confidence to put the firm and myself forward had, was um, required a little bit of, um, you know, in a reflection and <laughs> we had to push ourselves out there. But I, I felt that it was important for the, to build the brand but also for people to have confidence in us that we were that we are, you know, in fact doing what we say we are doing and that we're very good at what we do, um, particularly as a startup. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think that the in terms of the business awards, I think it's been the fact that we have turned the model on its head um, and we've been able to attract top-tier clients. And, and that was one of the things that had actually put me off going out on my own um, earlier was because I actually didn't think, because I'd always worked in top-tier firms and I'd serviced a particular type of client, I never thought that we would be able to be a startup and attract those sorts of clients. And it is, um, I feel so blessed that those clients are happy to work with us and that we get the great privilege of being part of their team. Um, and 
that gives other clients in that sort of the rapidly growing SME space, I suppose, comfort that if the big brands trust us, that actually we do know what we're doing um, and that we've got some good expertise in that space. So I think that the combination of the client base that we have and the the way we've sort of inverted the model and the fact that pre-COVID, you know, we, when I founded this firm, it was founded on the basis that flexibility was at its core and that's obviously fundamentally different. So I talked before about being very client-focused and looking at providing a service that was different for the clients and that would be shoulder to shoulder. But the other part of the piece that was really important was saying, I'm going to create um, a law firm that is built on foundational flexibility and, and that is also paperless. So in 2016, we were set up to be able to work remotely, um, to be able to do, you know, we were doing Zoom calls from back then. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, as, our EAs are able to work remotely. They don't have to come in to do filing because everything's paperless and we've always been like that. So we have a very fluid way of working um, and that has allowed me to uh, still be able to build a firm from scratch and grow it and run it, but still be able to do school drop-off and pick up and run the PNF and still be really involved. And that that work-life, when I talk to people about work-life balance, I say, no, I don't have a work-life balance. I'm not going to pretend that I do, but I have a work-life blend and a blend that works for me. And that blend looks different um, as my children grow. And it also looks different based on, you know, different peaks and troughs with client matters and um, because it's all very fluid. And we, but we have to make sure that, we are meeting and still meeting the client's needs, which are demanding and, and obviously time sensitive, but also my family's needs. No, it sounds like you've created this um, model, which is overall high value for your clients, high value for your team and sustainable for the long term because your team doesn't get the burnout that typically happens in the big law um, sense of the world. So um, you I tip my hat off to you and many do because it is a fantastic model. And on the actual model itself, John Farron, um, the director of Farron McRae Workplace Lawyers and a regular of the show has come in with a question for you in real time, Melissa. The outsourced in-house model is great and one we offer at our firm. How do you price the retainer so it works for both the client and the firm? That's a great question, John. Thank you. Yeah, it is. It's a really good question. So it depends on the way in which we're working um, and I don't like to call it a retainer well we don't call it a retainer because I think that retainer is from my point of view is more around um, pricing it at a point that you're sort of taking the risk in, in you've got if it's a retainer in the true sense of a retainer you've got to price it at a point that you are hoping you're doing multiple ones that some people will use your services and some people won't because otherwise you can't manage to resource it. So we um, have subscriptions and we price them um, very carefully yes. um, and they're based on um, a certain number of hours um, per month uh, on a subscription basis and we then make sure that we sit down and do sort of deep dives at the outset with the clients where we get to know the business we triage what the what work is required and yes. then we make sure that we project plan that work over the year um meeting monthly obviously because you you know sometimes priorities change but that tends to work well and allow us to manage the workflow um if we're doing uh say for example um, a maternity leave cover for a company that's going to go for 12 months or 18 months that's an entirely different proposition we find out their yeah. budget we work out we scope it and then we work out a price that's going to work for everyone 
Great. Great question, John, and thanks for putting in that in there. Um, on, on another part of your business, says it's split into two. So to, to educate people, there's Peripheral Blue Legal and then there's Peripheral Blue Consulting. I'd love to dive in and go and differentiate the two and what the two do to add value. Thanks. Um, so because we're based in Adelaide, we are not permitted to have a multidisciplinary practice in Adelaide. Okay. So we've got the banner company of Peripheral Blue and then we've got Peripheral Blue Legal, which, under which we obviously provide legal services and then Peripheral Blue Consulting where we can provide the consulting services but most specifically um, contract management. And so, again, go, if I backtrack to my original idea, <clears throat> it was to provide services that were more akin to an in-house lawyer's services, uh, which would involve being able to help manage the contracts because I had spent years, particularly in the construction space, drafting really complicated contracts that everyone was happy to have you, to pay you to negotiate, but then I knew full well that they were sticking them in the top drawer and not looking at them. And I really wanted to find a way where we could say, actually, we know these contracts inside out and back to front because we drafted them or negotiated them. Um, so we can provide contract management services to help you so you don't miss variations and you don't miss your EOTs and, and various claims. And yeah, and that, that was really the impetus for having the consulting arm. No, it's fantastic. And uh, making it even simpler, the name Peripheral Blue, can you tell us, because um, periphery is kind of like at the edge, yeah. where did that come from and what does it mean to you, Melissa? Yes, that's a very good question, Helen. It's one we get often. Um, yes. so, <laughs> so I did not want to have a law firm that was um, traditional in any sense. When we started PB, I said, let's just throw the rule book out the window and what I, all we'll take from the big law model is the one non-negotiable, which is top talent. And, and that level of um, professionalism and high quality, but everything else can go. We don't need fancy offices. We don't need pyramid structures. We don't need, you know, bodies like chained to their desk for 12 hours a day. We don't need any of that. We don't need presentism. <laughs> but what we do need is um, a really fresh perspective. And so we thought about what... Uh, you know, well, and we threw, threw around like a whole heap of different names, as you can imagine. So peripheral, because we were saying, well, let's look about how we might think about doing things differently. And peripheral is obviously peripheral vision and looking at things from a different point of view. And I was also acutely aware that people have very negative associations usually with their lawyers. So lawyers don't rate highly on the trust scale. No. <laughs> At all. Same with bankers and brokers, Melissa. We're down I the know, bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not, not, not doing so well, hey? Um, so I, I knew that. And I also know that I know from, you know, I knew from 20 years' experience that when people come to see their lawyer, there's quite often either there's excitement because you're, you know, getting a contract drafted or you're doing a deal and that's really cool at the beginning, but there's still, a, you know, a degree of anxiety because there's risk usually that sits behind that with the project or it's litigation and people are upset and there's, they're anxious. And in either set of circumstances, it's also the cost aspect. So, and there's usual, usually time sensitivity. So we brought in the blue because blue as a colour is calming and neutral. And so that, that was the thinking behind having the brand that was still, you know, corporate, but the inverted eyes because, you know, we're turning things upside down and the different shades of blue because, as I said, blue is a calming colour. Um, and the peripheral because we're changing the way we think about law and doing things differently. And you really are. And another meaning that I can derive from it, there's two oceans. There's the red ocean and the blue ocean. Red ocean, everyone's competing. It's bloody, it's messy. And the blue ocean, because you've differentiated yourself so much and you have the turn, the model on, the, the waters are calm 
and the clients love it and the team love it. So you're swimming in the blue ocean, Melissa, and keep going. It's, uh, a, much, it's a much happier place to be. It is. Be, be happy. That's why I changed yeah. the colour of my house. It was red. There was a red door. It looked like the shining. It's now blue. <laughs> um, and because I'm colourblind, it very much looks like your blue. So, um, yeah, it's a good choice. It is calming. Uh, switching gears a little bit, I know you're very passionate about innovating. Is there any passion projects you're currently working on now? There is, in fact. So we've been um, really busy over the last um, year building a solution to help rapidly growing SMEs to put the SG in the ESG. So in our business, we service both rapidly growing SME clients and large corporates. Um, and over the last few years, we've assisted lots of large corporates with key ESG risk areas. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, ESG stands for environmental, social and governance. And it's those social and governance areas such as um, corporate social responsibility, privacy and data protection, modern slavery, etc., that we have significant experience advising large corporations on. So what we've started to notice in the last two years is that there's been this really large increase in the ESG of obligations and risks that our SME clients now have to consider because their customers, clients and investors in, expect them to, and because ESG requirements are often sort of, you know, critical to winning big tenders and to growing their business and scaling. So not prioritising ESG now means, well, it might mean a loss of investment opportunities because many investors, including banks, which you would obviously be aware of, Helen, um, need to ensure that they're meeting responsible investing principles. So drawing on our experience advising on all things social and governance, which is the SG in ESG, yes. Um, yes. we've created a scalable one-stop solution called Compotency. So it's, we think it's a really powerful solution to sorting all of the key SG requirements to help businesses win big tenders, attract investment and scale up their business. Um, so what we've done with Compotency is we've, we've set up um, toolkits in key SG areas, so privacy, modern slavery, CSR, anti-bribery and corruption, etc. And we've put this together in a 24-7 online training that can be scaled to deliver to subcontractors if or when you're onboarding staff um, and it has a document hub with suites of required template documentation ready to go. So it's like a one-stop um, ESG in a box solution for businesses. Um, and so the current focus on ESG in the market means that many businesses do miss out on winning big contracts because they simply don't have all of the required supplier accreditation document and staff training implemented. So we saw a real need in the market for a solution to help people to sort out the key ESG requirements for good and to do it at a, a much more affordable price point. Because if you came to us and said, um, which, you know, has happened before where people come and say, I want to bid on this contract because if I can bid on this contract, I'm going to be able to scale my business from here to there. And we all know, you know, if, if you're a, a law firm owner or a business owner, your growth, you know, it looks like that and then it plateaus and then it goes up. And so, you yeah, know, growth consolidation, right? yes. Yeah, and so when people want to push to the next level, you've got to have your ducks in a row. But sometimes these opportunities present themselves at a time when you might not have your, you know, trusted A-team behind you in terms of your, you know, your legal advisors or know where to go or it's at a price point where if you say I need, you know, 30 or 20 or 50 documents and I need them by the end of the week, you're going to pay through the nose for that because there's, you know, a time and if you're going to procure them as, you know, individual documents that are drafted on a bespoke basis. So this is our attempt to um, 
like, like everything we've done, we've, we've tried to provide solutions that are genuinely helpful um, and this is a scalable solution which in, we believe provides the one-stop shop in terms of the documentation but also and, and, and really high quality because it's the sort of documentation, you know, at the level that we provide to the, the big end of town um, and also provides the training and the video explainers and so, so it can be used in, internally as an education piece and we, we also, I'm mean, completely aware, some people actually don't care really about learning about compliance. They just need to tick a box and whilst, you know, we don't agree, we understand that. And so for those people, the documents are there, but for the people who genuinely want to learn and understand and, you know, are on that continual growth journey and whose, whose staff um, value um, the investment in them to learn, the videos are fantastic explainers about key important topics and why the documents are structured in the way in which they are. But it also, as I said, um, enables you to, to compare um, to comply with uh, the requirements that you've actually onboarded people appropriately and um, and and inducted staff. Fantastic! It sounds very novel, um, and I, I would expect nothing less. And it's got it's certainly got people excited. Um, Daniel Adier is asking, "Are you hiring at the moment, there, Melissa?" <laughs> we we actually yeah we are hiring. We are absolutely hiring. Fantastic. Okay, great. Well, um, be sure to DM Melissa. I'm sure she'd welcome it. Thank you so much there, Daniel. Um, what would you like to see change in law, Melissa? I think I would love, well, really, I, I'm really, obviously feel really passionate about the way we run our firm. And I think, and I hope, and every time you spoke about the awards before, the reason that we throw a hat in the ring, and I, I, my answer to you in part about the business side of the awards, but when we throw a hat in the ring for the wellbeing awards and for the innovation awards, it's so important to us because um, every time we are a finalist or a winner in those categories, it is a testament to the fact that it is entirely possible to provide legal services in a flexible, affordable way and to provide a safe space for staff where they feel supported but also where they have a platform to shine and so I would like to see more of that <laughs> happening more flexibility more opportunities more um collaboration so I think that has what has struck me the most is that after 20 years in firms where your own team might be collegiate to a point but you know it's a bit of an adversarial all firms are different but you know it's a bit gladiatorial at times it was so refreshing to move to this space where you are a business owner but also where we're able to create a very collaborative working space where we are really collaborative with one another but also we genuinely are collaborative with the teams that we work with with our clients and I would love to see more of that collaboration because there is more than enough work for everyone and you know it's it's if you lift each other up you will rise together and so I would love to see more of that sentiment. I think that's so true. All ships rise with the rising tide. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that abundance mindset of there is enough work for everyone. Um, yeah. Too much work to handle if you said it right. So that is fantastic there, Melissa. Um, and this pr probably goes hand in hand. What are lessons um, not only for young lawyers in Adelaide but um, wider Australia watching and tuning in now? I think you always need to be open to learning new uh, to, to learning new skills, and so I think that, that the, I would never ever have been able to do what I've ended up doing if I hadn't had the exceptional 
training at the beginning and that exceptional training was tough like so two ways about it it was tough um it was you know people ripping my work apart with red pens and you know being like kept there till three in the morning but I learned and I mean I certainly we don't run that model here but um (laughs) but what I would say is even if you're in an environment where it feels a bit tough if you really love what you do you take from every experience what you need to and what you need to take from that is different to anyone else and you don't need to worry about anyone else because it's your own race room. And it look, play the long game. Um, and sometimes in your career, you have to take two steps back. And some, someone told me this, actually. There was a point where I wasn't particularly happy in my career when I first moved back to Adelaide. And someone said to me, sometimes you've got to take uh, two steps back to move forward. And um, at that point in my life, I could never have imagined that I would be doing this. I could never, ever have imagined that a life outside of big law and within sort of that, that those parameters, I wasn't prepared to make that choice. Now, ultimately, I did have to take that 10 steps back to start from scratch. <laughs> but yeah. I am so much further on and not, not just about being further on, I'm so happy. And you ultimately, whatever you do, if you're not passionate about it, if, if it doesn't make you happy, and no, you're not going to be euphoric every day, but you yeah. have to genuinely love what you do. So if you find yourself in an area of law and you don't love it, well, don't give up straight away. But if you're pushing, you know, and, and it's not working and it's not getting any better, well, then, you know, you owe it to yourself. You're in charge of your own life and your own destiny. Make a change. And that might be asking to move to a different practice area or trying a different firm. Um, if you're in a big firm and it's not a great fit, then, you know, maybe experience, explore in-house opportunities or a small firm. Different firms, as much as I have set up a new law model, I learned so much from big law. Big law was fundamental to my professional development and different size firms are different good fits for different people um, depending on their personality type and their stage in life. Yes, I think there's some cogent insights there for everyone. And and two things I picked up on, um, you don't have to love what you do or be euphoric every day, um, but, you know, you've got to really see if it's working. Uh, And Mm -hmm. the second thing is taking those two or ten steps back to really move forward. I I got it heard before, it's not a corporate ladder, it's a jungle gym. You go (laughs) up and down and whatnot. So, um, yeah, even horizontal moves. So don't necessarily look at those as a bad thing. They're actually opportunities. Um, That is fantastic there, Melissa. And and my last question before we uh, um, go into bonus questions is when all is said and done um, and one day we'll all eventually leave this mortal coil, how would you, Melissa Larkin, like to be remembered? I think as someone who didn't wait for the storm to pass because (laughs) I had a love dancing in the rain pretty much. Oh, I love that. That is so magical. Some people uh, feel the rain, others just get wet, and you are certainly not the latter. you just got to make the best of every opportunity. <laughs> words, Great words to finish on. And where can people find you, Melissa? Where are you hanging out most? How can people get in touch with you? Uh, well, our website's um, www.peripheralblue.com.au. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn, as are you, Cullen. <laughs> Um, so my yeah my LinkedIn profile um, is, is a really easy way to meet me and to, to talk. Um, just message me on there, I think. Fantastic. Get in touch on the website. I put it here, everyone, on LinkedIn. And thank you for joining us today there, Melissa. It's been fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. Lovely to chat. It's an absolute pleasure. 
and we will come out with the um, the live stream version in podcast form later today. Get that on Apple and Spotify. And please join us next time for another Law Live. We come out Wednesday, every Wednesday, talking to a leader in law. Have a great day, everyone.